Good morning, everyone. My name is Jed Daniel Lee. I am the treasurer for the Oregon Youth for Christ. And as the treasurer, so you'll be seeing me at a later time here today. But today I'm here with you with our speakers. We have a panel of our four speakers here. And they don't require any introduction for us here uh, who are live. But for the sake of the recordings, we're going to take a brief moment and have them introduce themselves to you. And we will start from my right, uh, your left. And we will give you very brief introductions as to who these people are. My name is Lisa Puffer. Lost in a canyon. <laughs> I'm originally from Michigan, um, but I'm a licensed massage therapist and a lifestyle counselor from UT Pines, Alabama. And I'm currently residing in Idaho. Good morning. I'm Dr. Diane Burnett. I've done residency in family practice, but my interest is in doing natural remedies. Um, currently, I am in Idaho as well with Lisa. We are trying to build a ministry called Recreation Lifestyle Health, which will basically be um, trying to educate our people about the health message and using natural remedies. I'm Dr. Neil Nedley. I'm an internal medicine uh, physician uh, that uh, runs the Nedley Clinic in Ardmore, Oklahoma, and I'm also the president of Weimar Center of Health and Education. And uh, we, um, of course, at uh, Weimar offer um, the full uh, pre-med, uh, pre-nursing. Our, our school just got approved for an RN program. And uh, we're uh, very much into nutrition and lifestyle and soul winning at Weimar. In fact, uh, you can't come to Weimar unless you're involved uh, in those things in an intimate way. My name is Dave Fiedler, and I'm a recovering school teacher <laughs> um, <laughs> who uh, spent 20 years teaching Adventist history and finally decided I ought to just get on the stick and try to make something come from all those lessons that nobody else is doing anyhow. So now I'm the president of Adventist City Missions based out of Wichita, Kansas. Well, thank you, distinguished members of our panel. And uh, I do have approximately 21 questions. I will not guarantee that we will get through them all. We have a little less than an hour. So we're just going to go ahead and start with the questions right off the bat. And this is something, I try to categorize these as best as I could, but uh, some of them will be related and we will uh, just go through them one at a time. This is a question that I've been asked myself and I've asked myself personally to others. Uh, it states, since Jesus ate fish and lamb, isn't it fanatical to tell people that they should not eat meat? <laughs> well, I can tell you this, a uh, hundred years ago, fish was a lot healthier food than it is today. And when we take a look at the science behind fish, it's the most toxic laden food uh, that Americans can eat today, really worldwide. And so if you want high mercury levels, uh, if you want uh, high pesticide levels, uh, if you want um, uh, basically the toxins of the ocean accumulated a thousand to a million fold or the toxins of lakes and streams accumulated a thousand to a million fold, then um, you can eat fish. Uh, fortunately, fish are the um, are high in, I mean, the, the good thing about fish, the reason why people started eating a lot more in the 80s was the studies on omega-3. Um, but omega-3 you can get from plant foods or you can get them from sea plants uh, as well. And fish don't have any ability to make omega-3. Um, they have to get it from the plants as well. And so omega-3 is the primary nutrient that people seek for in eating fish, but uh, there's much healthier ways to get um, that today. In regards to lamb, of course, that was the... the um, a sacrificial lamb, I don't think it, uh, there's no real evidence that Christ was eating lamb on a regular basis, but the lamb that he did eat, regards to the sacrificial aspect of things, had no fat, 
and no blood. And uh, if, uh, if people were going to uh, do it on the basis of a, uh, a yearly Passover service with no fat and no blood, I would have no issue um, with them uh, in regards to that. But I can tell you most people are eating meat for the fat and the blood. Uh, that's what uh, produces the flavor, and without them it tastes like a little you know, piece of rubber. And, uh, and so uh, it's not necessarily appetizing. It was to be a symbol of sacrifice uh, and not a, uh, a symbol of abundance uh, in eating the lamb. All right. Thank you, Dr. Nedley. Anyone else? I would like to make a few brief comments on that, too. As you look at the Bible and some of the things that we see that were practiced, a lot of the things as we look at God's people, there were things that were allowed and not necessarily God's ideal choice. When you look at the diets in the Bible, we know that the ideal diet, especially when man was in his prime state, was a plant-based diet. After the fall, God added another item. And as we go through the biblical history, we see the, the Bible diets come basically into categories. When we look at the flood, that was when meat was introduced. Then we see the Exodus diet, and God's ideal was manna. It wasn't God's plan to feed man animal flesh. We look at Daniel's diet. We look at John the Baptist's diet. There was no meat in their diet. And if you ask yourself the question, which of these diet plans were given for strength? you would have to answer the question that the original diet and even the diet after the fall for fallen man was what God wanted for strength. And the diet that was given that allowed meat was for a specific purpose. And we're told that that was because when, man, when God looked upon the earth and he saw man, that the longer they lived, the more evil they became. And it was God's specific purpose to allow man to eat meat for two reasons, to decrease their lifespan and to decrease their intellectual power because they were using it for evil. So the specific diet of eating meat was for weakness. And as we live at the end of time where we need all our mental faculties, we need to choose do we want a diet for strength or a diet for weakness. Thank you, Dr. Burnett. And Jesus never ate that stuff on the Day of Atonement. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Mr. Fiedler. So in line with our questions about diet and food, what do you say to people who worry about getting enough calcium and vitamin B12 on a totally vegetarian diet? Yeah, stop eating meat and you know, quit wasting the calcium you are getting. <laughs> and as far as B12... This is one thing that we had wanted to do, particularly at Yiji Pines. Over and over again, we had people come in and we would do lab tests at the beginning when they first came in. And then we would do it again at the end of the program, 17 days later. And we saw over and over again the majority of people on a plant-based diet eating large amount of greens had a marked increase, even over 100, sometimes 500% increase in B12 from eating large portions of, of greens. The, the B12 is produced by bacteria. It's produced by bacteria in your mouth. When you eat animal products, you are getting the B12 that the animals have gotten from eating the plants. They find that B12 is particularly high in the stem portions of the greens, and that's usually the portions we cut off, wash away, and we're not getting large amounts of that. So. It's been our experience that B12 does produce in large portions in the body is um, built up by eating a plant-based, particularly greens, diet. Anyone else? Well, it is, it's also been demonstrated, a uh, study at Weimar, also uh, studies at other places, that if you are on a plant-based diet, about a third to half, maybe a little more, will actually lower their B12 um, levels. B12 is stored for up to a year, so it's not an emergency thing uh, that you necessarily need. Uh, but it is produced by bacteria. And it is true, if you don't wash your fruits and vegetables, there's a lot of B12 in the dirt. 
Um, <laughs> if you don't uh, brush your teeth, um, the bacteria in your mouth produce a lot of B12. Um, and uh, if you have an incompetent ileocecal valve, your colon is teeming with B12, and you can backwash some of that into your small bowel where you absorb it. However, we recommend that <laughs> that uh, if you are cutting off the stems and if you aren't eating, uh, you know, plant sources that are going to um, be available. And if you're not eating, which is best, not to eat the animal-based foods, B12 supplements are very, very inexpensive. Uh, they're best uh, chewed, and uh, you don't need to take them on a daily basis. Uh, if you're a young person, probably on a monthly basis would be enough. As you get older, you absorb less of it, so you might need to take it on a weekly or maybe eventually on a daily basis. But uh, just be safe and make sure you're not uh, short in it because there are uh, well-documented cases, even among health reformers, who have had significant issues with B12 to the point where they get uh, their gait gets um, uh, permanently affected, and some of their nervous system gets permanently affected. And I want to make a follow-up question, um, answer, response with that too. There are things that destroy our ability to absorb any of the B12 that we get in. Sometimes the injections are the best form that you can get. If you've had <coughs> <coughs> excuse me, extensive antibiotic um, programs in your history. Sometimes that destroys the body's ability to absorb your B12 or to make it within your system. A lot of other things that are disrupting the digestive program, the digestive bot, um, system, will make it hard or even impossible for you to absorb B12. And that would that would make it necessary for you to take a supplement in. should mention something about calcium as well. Calcium is best in greens and not in, um, in dairy foods. You absorb far more in green vegetables. And osteoporosis is not so much a calcium deficiency as it is a vitamin D deficiency. And uh, we know vitamin D is much more crucial in regards to the development of osteoporosis than, um, uh, than the amount of calcium in your diet. That, that light was reduced just to show you how much vitamin D um, you're getting inside. Uh, and uh, uh, you really need to get outdoors in ultraviolet light uh, in order to be able to absorb that B12, I'm sorry, the vitamin D, or take a D supplement. But D deficiency is a much ma more major problem in our society than vitamin B12 deficiency. And uh, that needs to be highlighted. All right, thank you very much for that, Doctors Nedley and Burnett, and humor as well. <laughs> um, so, bottom line, people that are on a plant-based diet needn't worry as much about these issues as other people make it out to be. So, uh, moving on, uh, with all the studies that show wine is good for the heart, shouldn't we encourage the moderate use of wine? It is true that if you drink enough alcohol to get cirrhosis of the liver, you'll only have a 25% chance of dying from heart disease compared to someone <laughs> in the general population. Uh, the problem with alcohol is it's the third leading cause of death in our country. That's from the Centers of Disease Control. The World Health Organization recommends zero alcohol as optimal health. Uh, alcohol, even in low amounts, one drink every 15 days in a woman increases the risk of breast cancer by 60%. Uh, the, the studies on alcohol and cancer are conclusive. Uh, and, of course, when you take a look at what happens with the brain um, in regards to alcohol, after alcohol is on board, it takes two weeks for critical abstract thinking to return as far as that real fine-tuned um, thinking where it requires discipline thinking. Of course, you can drive an automobile the next day, but that doesn't require abstract critical thinking. Otherwise, we wouldn't let 16-year-olds do it. Um, and so uh, it is, um, uh, it's, uh, it's something that is best abstained from mentally uh, and physically, and it would certainly save a lot of premature deaths um, worldwide if uh, people would abstain from it. Thank you. Anyone else? All right, well then under the topic of alcohol, uh, what about the possibility of alcohol production in the stomach when you mix fruits and vegetables together? 
nowadays you know how these uh, juices are very popular when they, when they blend different forms of fruit and green leaf vegetables. Are these okay to drink? Uh, is it recommended to eat fruits and vegetables together? We have several different passages in our spirit of prophecy that makes mention that it's best not to mix fruits and vegetables together. In those passages, one of them says that fruits and vegetables eaten together form an acidic condition. Just what she's talking about, I'm not sure. But as I've looked at these passages, it hasn't been one of those dynamic statements like never let some, a morsel pass your lips. I have studied the types of foods that she has eaten, and there has been where she's had a green um, vegetable meal, and she eats an apple at the end of it. But overall, what she's saying, it is best not to do it, particularly if your digestion is weak. That was some of the counsel that she gave to people that had a weak system. So I think it is best to follow that counsel because it is inspired that we try to divide our fruits and vegetables as much as possible. But I don't think it's one of the largest um, forms of the things that we do in our dietary habits that cause the biggest problems. And just to follow up with that, then, you know, as most of us who are Seventh-day Adventists, when Seventh-day Adventists are told that we must do this or should do this, we have a tendency to be very legalistic about it. Um, but isn't it true that when you said Ellen White was giving this sort of counsel, it was to people who were already having issues with digestion, and therefore wouldn't this be more applicable to people who have trouble with digestion? In other words, it's not a general statement. It's a very more specific counsel, isn't it? Well, in my field of uh, gastroenterology, um, we deal with a lot of gastroesophageal reflux disease, and this is where the practical nature of it comes in. Uh, these are individuals that have a weak lower esophageal sphincter. And it's well known you have to have four constants for the stomach to empty efficiently and prevent reflux, and that is a constant temperature, a constant osmolarity, a constant pH, and actually size less than uh, 0.3 millimeters squared. So that's what your stomach is trying to do. When you mix fruits and vegetables together, it actually um, slows that emptying time down significantly and thus increases the possibility for reflux. So uh, I think that's really what she was talking about. She usually put it in that setting. Um, and in fact, to my knowledge, maybe always put it in that setting. We'd have to um, look at the, uh, at the counsel that's given. Uh, of course, there's a lot of other things that should be done if you have reflux, such as no caffeine, no decaf, no chocolate, uh, <laughs> no peppermint, uh, no spicy foods. And so uh, those are actually even more important than not mixing fruits and vegetables. About 50% of people will get better just with that. And then the other 30%, you'll get 80% of people medication-free, reflux-free by um, following those principles and then not mixing fruits and vegetables at the same meal. Thank you very much. Um, is there any truth to the recommendation that five smaller meals are better than three meals, especially for a person like me who's trying to lose some weight? Actually, studies show that the immune system does better on two meals a day than three. Uh, colon cancer is reduced um, by um, less meal frequency. Um, and also weight loss is augmented by a two-meal-a-day program. Um, Ellen White spoke about the advantages of a two-meal-a-day program, but she didn't make that legalistic, as you mentioned, across the board. She said some were not going to be able to maintain their weight. Uh, doing that. And so some are going to need to eat three meals a day because they would get into malnutrition and weight loss as a result of the two meals a day. Um, Dr. Cup in Louisiana conclusively showed that if you eat um, your second meal before three o'clock in the afternoon, um, you will lose weight if you don't have under any other calories uh, put in. And so uh, weight loss is very much helped by uh, a less meal a day program and not more uh, meals per day. And then back to the previous question where we're talking about stomach acidity and emptying. The thing, same thing is going to be true when you have more frequent meals. You, it takes a good four hours for a, 
a decent meal to digest. And if you put anything in the stomach within that period of time, it's going to stop or at least significantly slow down the digestion of the food already in there. And you will end up with food eaten in the, br in the morning meal all the, all the way up through the end of the day, still sitting in your stomach. And then every time you put food into your body, it's going to demand digestion. Your pancreas in particular is going to have to put out insulin to take care of the sugar. So you're constantly overworking your digestive organs, which are going to be taxed and eventually weakened to the point that they might not even function again. Okay, this is our last question with regards to food and diet and health, and it's a rather easy one, I'm thinking. Uh, it says, uh, you've said that, I don't know who this you is, but it says you've said that healthy foods is good for you. I, I believe it would be true to say that. <laughs> Are you saying that we should not eat unhealthy food, or should we limit unhealthy food that we consume? Can we still eat some unhealthy food, even though it's bad for you? Well, that gets into the subject of temperance. Temperance is eating in moderation the things that are healthy. Uh, you can overdo it even on healthy things. We've had people drink too much water and wash their electrolytes out uh, and have significant problems. And water is good for you, and most people aren't drinking enough. Uh, but it actually is abstaining from things that are unhealthy. And, of course, the question is, why abstinence? You know, that seems like pretty austere. Uh, and, uh, of course, it really begs the, uh, I mean, the, the simple answer is uh, abstain from things that are unhealthy because they are unhealthy. Uh, but secondly, it's because of the addictive nature of most unhealthy substances. Uh, and if we partake of it once in a great while, we actually set ourselves up for that addiction. Uh, whether it's, um, uh, you know, whether it's cocaine, uh, whether it's smoking. You know, have you heard of a moderate cigarette smoker that just smokes, you know, two cigarettes per month, et cetera? Uh, they're setting themselves up for major problems if they think they're just going to be a social smoker. Um, and, uh, and so it is with, uh, with many unhealthy substances, including foods, and foods can have powerful addictions, particularly the unhealthy ones. Left the canyon? Oh, okay, there we are. <laughs> Another thing, too, that we need to remember is that we are living on the brink of eternity. And Christ is wanting to come and take his children home. And the battlefield is where? It's in the mind. And what you put in your mouth goes to the stomach, feeds the blood, which feeds the mind. And so whatever you're putting on your stomach is directly impacting your mind where the battlefield is. And if I'm eating something that's bogging my system down, even if it's just a little bit, that's going to bog the brain down, and I'm not going to be as quick to discern the, um, the temptations of the enemy. I'm not going to be as quick to discern those things that Christ warns may deceive even the very elect. If we could really, if the curtain could be pulled back and we could really see the great controversy for what it was, we would recognize that even what we put on our plates every single day is affecting our destiny forever. And so keeping that in mind gives you a whole new perspective about why we would want to avoid those things that are unhealthy and eat those things that are healthy. Thank you, Ms. Puffer. All right. Um, I do have a question about water since Dr. Uh, Nedley mentioned it. Uh, drinking too much washes away electrolyte, but how much is too much? I mean, I think most of us, as you mentioned, don't drink enough. So can you please give us some general guidelines as to what might be too much? Well, it has to do with body mass index, uh, and it also has to do with how much work you're doing and how much perspiration you're doing, etc. The more you're outside, the more you're perspiring, the more you're exercising, the more water you're going to need. Uh, for most indoor individuals that aren't really stressing themselves, six glasses a day seems to be the bare minimum. 
in most cases, unless they have complete renal failure and on dialysis, then we would not recommend even that. But uh, six glasses, uh, eight ounce glasses is the minimum. Eight is normally uh, the ideal. And then in addition to that, depending on how much work you're doing. All right, thank you. Um, I don't know a lot about the subject, but to share a quick story. I once had a group of college students I was working with, and one of them, unbeknownst to me, decided to go on a watermelon diet. <laughs> it's fine. But the first indication that there was a problem with that was one afternoon when he went into like a total seizure that I could not tell was not demonic possession. Um, this, wow. he, just, he just washed his electrolytes out. And, and I don't know if, that's, if it's always a sudden onset like that. Maybe the doctors can help me on that. But that was the first thing he knew was something was wrong. He was down on the floor and incoherent. And that was a little freaky. And I kind of wished he'd told me what he was doing before he'd done that. All right. Thank you for that anecdote. <laughs> it's important. Temperance in all things. All right. All right. Switching gears here a little bit, how does one move from sharing the health message with someone to sharing Jesus with them? Actually, it's not that difficult. Uh, and, uh, and part of that reason is whenever we're sharing the health message with people, there are certain aspects to that message they see that are, I mean, not just certain aspects. They might believe that what you're saying is totally true, but their desires are not to go that way. Uh, and that's simply due to the desires of the flesh. It's something that Romans uh, 7 talks about uh, specifically. And uh, the only way an individual, in fact, we're, we're told the only way an individual gives up some treasured um, dietary item or even gives up smoking or gives up alcohol if it's something that they like to do, that treasured part, and they choose a better way is if the Holy Spirit is influencing their life. So the only way they can really make those changes is, is through the spiritual. So I, I think to just give people information on what is right and wrong without having them introduced to the power to help them overcome is bordering on malpractice uh, because it's, uh, it's really uh, giving them information that they have no power to necessarily utilize in their life. And so uh, it actually does, uh, when people understand that concept, uh, they're very open to, uh, to the spiritual aspect of things. Another way it really helps is to talk about the frontal lobe of the brain uh, and all of the research there because that is where um, spirituality, morality, and the will is centered. Uh, secular studies um, show that. And uh, the frontal lobe, in fact, uh, one of the nice things about the latest research, studies are now showing whatever adversely affects the frontal lobe of the brain adversely affects longevity. Whether it's music, whether it's TV, television, by the way, entertainment television, for every hour of entertainment television or movie watching that you do, you lose 20 minutes of life as far as longevity is concerned. There's been uh, multiple studies now come out in the last few years just on longevity. And people are wondering, why is it because of the sitting? No, because doing homework doesn't decrease your longevity in your sitting when you're doing homework. Uh, sitting in a classroom does not decrease longevity, but frontal lobe suppression does decrease longevity. And so things that enhance the frontal lobe ought to be able to enhance longevity as well. And so there's great tie-ins with the spiritual and all of our health aspect of things, and we shouldn't divorce it uh, from the spiritual. And I just want to say there's times where you can only share some health information that people aren't necessarily open, but if they've come to you to begin with to ask you about health and you give them a few items to do and by the grace of God they do them, they're going to reap the physical benefit. And as Dr. Nedley says, anything that gives you physical support, it is going to clear the frontal lobe where the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And as they start to gain confidence in what you have done for them physically, they begin to wonder about the God that you serve. And I've found in most situations, 
I always asked someone if I could have prayer with them. When I was in practice, just individually out, out of my home in Arizona, most of my clientele were New Agers. They were Buddhist. They were from different spiritual, Eastern spiritual walks. And they all came to me knowing specifically that I was a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. They knew from the people how they talk that I always had prayer with them. And I never had one of them um, refuse that I would have prayer. And I remember one woman particularly. She was Buddhist. And at the end of counseling with her, I asked her if I could have prayer with her. And she said, well, certainly. So I had prayer with her. And at the end, when I finished the prayer, as I looked up, she had tears streaming down her eyes. And she then told me a story of how she had been touched at a different, different points by Christianity and that I had touched on a cord there. And so I, it is an opening wedge. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, even if your initial react, your interactions with them don't outright say that Jesus is your Savior and you need him, it is going to lead to that. And the Holy Spirit will work in their lives to help connect them to heaven. Um, in the restaurant, we have, of course, we're a healthy restaurant, right? So people ask questions about health. It's kind of weird to me. I mean, I would not go to a restaurant to ask questions about health, but <laughs> they do. So <laughs> uh, but anyhow, um, and, and it, it has struck me, it's just amazing how open and how trusting they are of our answers. I, I, I don't know. It's like the public is incredibly incredulous. Uh, why, why they trust people like us, I don't know. But anyhow, um, but in talking about health, one of the easiest things to do is just mention my own motivations. You know, I want to be healthy because... I get a kick out of helping people, you know, and they, just, they, they, they sit there and they think about that and they, they know that it's true because that's what we do at the restaurant, you know, and feel free to share your own motivations. You know, why is, why is being healthy important to you? Just because you want to live long, you know, live long and selfish life? Is that what you want to do? You know, no, uh, just share your motivations and that will, in my experience, that touches a nerve with them. While giving a massage one day, a lady confessed to me the fact that she just didn't understand why it is that every time she came to me for a treatment, she felt like she just had to open up and ask all of her questions. It happens. The Lord said that the, me the medical missionary work was the entering wedge, and he does. He uses it. All right. The next series of questions that I'm going to be asked are directed to specific individuals on the panel, uh, but uh, feel free, anyone, to go ahead and respond. I am going to start to my left. Uh, this is for Mr. Fiedler, and I don't think this question is a very fair one, given the time that we have, but it says, can you distill in a few minutes the bottom line of Dr. Kellogg's philosophy of health and medical missionary work? Uh, less than a few minutes. <laughs> um, <clears throat> During the time period when Dr. Kellogg was on track, with his philosophy of medical missionary work, which would extend, I would say, up till about 1894-5, give or take. Uh, maybe up to 96, uh, 96 if you want to be charitable. Um, his philosophy was essentially that we should follow the example of Christ, who did good, who went about proactively seeking to do good, who did not wait for people to come to him to you know, always press the question of you know, heal me. Now there were who, those who did seek him out, but he went around seeking them. We should be proactive in our efforts to do good. We should be. Um, he would have used the term non-sectarian, which uh, developed into problems later on. But basically, you do good to people because they are people, not because they are Seventh-day Adventists, or not because you think they are prospective Seventh-day Adventists. How many lepers did Jesus heal? You know, he healed ten. Okay. Not everyone will respond, but you do good to the best of your ability. And the key thing, the underlying thing, which really I would stretch this from Dr. Kellogg all the way to the full, the full scope of the Great Controversy. Every aspect of the Great Controversy can boil, be boiled down to a simple question of, do I believe that God is going to take care of me? If God will take care of me, then I am free to take care of others. If I don't believe God is going to take care of me, then I'm going to have to spend some of my time taking care of me. 
Jesus did not spend a lot of time taking care of himself. Okay? But the only thing you could point to that said he took care of himself was, well, he probably ate. Yeah? Um, and he, uh, he followed the leading of the Spirit to uh, leave Galilee when they were going to kill him prematurely. Um, but other than that, you don't find him doing a lot to t- t- take care of himself. Um, so that would more or less be Kellogg's, Kellogg's position, um, was that the real heart of medical missionary work is, is love. And it must be shown rather than merely preached. And that, of course, is what got him in the bad graces with a lot of ministers, uh, which led to problems. But anyhow. Thank you. How does this person go about opening up a city mission post? How long does it take? How much money does it how much money is required to start it? Is it best to have a health food store or a restaurant or both? Can you share some from your experience? I trust it will be different in every location. So this is more of an anecdote than a real answer. Um, we probably put 600000 into our store um, to get it up and running. Um, well, no, I could sp- split some of that out for the farm. Um, probably 400000 into the store, in the restaurant in the store. Uh, how long does it take? Yeah, too much variation. You know, I mean, if you hire a bunch of guys to come in, they can slam up a restaurant for you in about three weeks. Uh, if you're going to do it yourself, trust <laughs> me, it takes a lot longer. <laughs> um, and there's real questions as to whether you ought to do it yourself or not. We probably spent a lot of money just on our business and occupation tax. It's $30,000 a year for our piece of property, whether we have a building there or not, you know, just, just to have the property. So spending time trying to save money, you know, you may be wasting more money on taxes. It's hard to say sometimes. Um, it, w- it will vary. Uh, the Lord will have to do many things very quickly that we are only beginning to figure out how to do. Um, yeah. All right, thank you. Uh, this next question is in regards to depression, I believe. It says, can a person replace the serotonin uptake in the brain naturally? and slowly enough to get totally off of medication? Yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> if you wouldn't mind sharing just a little bit more. <laughs> well, uh, it's very clear that a uh, comprehensive lifestyle program is far better than any combination of antidepressants available uh, today. And uh, that's what our research shows uh, conclusively uh, every time. And uh, our data shows 90% of individuals um, will be able to get off medication, live depression-free and medication-free with simple lifestyle changes that include uh, nutrition. Uh, And so, yes, it's far better than, uh, than those medications without the unwanted side effects of those medicines. All right, thank you, Dr. Nedley. Uh, Dr. Burnett, uh, this morning you mentioned something about the perpetual fast. What would it look like? Can I eat dessert once in a while? (laughs) We are given a specific answer to that, and actually tomorrow morning's talk I will um, address that. But she said that the fast that can be recommended is that which is of simple, healthful food. Anything that is going to build the system, that is going to keep our mind clear. So she specifically says that it is not necessary that, that we're on water all the time and you know we're not eating any food. But it is of simple food prepared in the most wholesome and natural way. And can you have dessert? Yes. In fact, You know, we have an example. She recommended having dessert. In fact, a nice treat was on Sabbath to have your dessert. It just depends on what the dessert is made of. What should it be made of? Whole foods. All right. Whole plant-based. Mango is pretty good. (laughs) Frozen. Um, All right. If you had the choices of the best 10 herbs someone should grow in their garden for home remedies, 
what would those 10 be? Wow. You know, I've never thought of that specifically, but the one of the, my top favorite to grow just because it's so beautiful is echinacea. I love the echinacea flower. And then, of course, we've talked about comfrey. And in the same category, yesterday in our natural remedies, we talked about cabbage. So that can be out of your garden, but that is also a wonderful herb. There up in Idaho, where I've just located, out in the wild, we have tons of St. John's wort. Hmm. We have yarrow. We have, what else is up there? Um, Mullen. Mullen is very, very good. So some of these are very easy herbs to grow. So those are the top. I can't come up with ten right now, but those are some. Garlic is another good one. Yeah, garlic. Another one that would be garlic and onions, both in the oregano would be good. Thyme, sage, I use that. I heard red clover. Very good. Anything you'd like to add, Ms. Puffer? All right. Um, we just have a few more minutes, so just a few more questions. Is there any principles that you can share from the scriptures and the writings of Ellen White on how young people especially can prepare and play their part in the medical missionary evangelism that's needed in these last days? Amen. We need young people to embrace the medical missionary work and to go forward. I was fortunate that I was raised with a mother who is a health educator. So I grew up doing hydrotherapy, utilizing natural remedies in my home. And of course, I had decided that I wanted to do something else in life. But the Lord had already set the stage for medical missionary work, and he would not leave me alone. And so I'm very thankful. I pursued um, learning natural remedies and hydrotherapy in depth at UG Pines. There's a number of different ways that young people can prepare themselves to be effective, efficient medical missionary workers for the Lord. Um, even I was talking with someone just earlier this weekend that you can get the books like Dr. Diane said. She started out with Dr. Agatha's Home Remedies book. Just look in the index and start working with your friends and with your family. Um, Ellen White says, start with what's nearest. What do you have in your hands? Start with that and start asking the Lord to teach you, even right now, um, how you can use these simple remedies to apply them to your life. This health message that we have is such a treasure. Start applying that to your own life and watching the results and start sharing that with other people. Read the book, Minister of Healing. Believe every page of it. Don't focus too much on curing people. Focus more on prevention. And you will be smarter than 99.99999% of the population walking the streets. So how else does one get started in the medical missionary work aside from reading Ministry of Healing? Um, in terms of training things, there's some. Lisa had some good ideas. I mean, I know there's at least two or three good sets of uh, YouTube videos on how to do hydro. You know, I mean, complete complete classes. You know, you know, all, you know 15, you know, revulsive this and you know, uh, contrast that and all the the whole business. You know, okay, you know how to watch you know YouTube videos. Come on, don't tell me you don't. Um, <laughs> but, um, practice on yourself. Yeah. You know, the big problem for uh, you know, the big problem you're going to run into is once you start living a decent lifestyle, you're not going to get sick enough often to have any experience of practicing. <laughs> you know, every time something goes wrong is a golden opportunity. You know, I got a third degree burn once. That was great. You know, <laughs> it was the first chance I really had to play with that game. You know, um, yeah, I, I don't get sick, so I don't have much chance to, to do that. But, you know, then, then convince a few happy guinea pigs to go along with you. In, in, enroll at Weimar and take the one-year <laughs> medical missionary course. And if you, and if you want to uh, go further, we have the pre-med, we have uh, pre-nursing, we're starting a nursing school is there, there as well. And you'll get um, all of the scientific backing as well as the, the Spirit of Prophecy uh, Council uh, mixed in and uh, make you highly effective in reaching all classes. And then this is for young or old. 
Our church is rich, wealthy with materials that you can just pull where there's on DVD from multiple programs. Dr. Nedley's program's out there. Vicki Griffin's programs are out there where you can just take them, the CHIP program, and start using them. Should a person get involved in wellness or the medical missionary work if that person is actually struggling with chronic health issues themselves? Absolutely, they should get involved on a personal level first uh, and, then, uh, and then in reaching others. And, and as, as a result, they'll have a powerful testimony to tell uh, on how... Uh, they were able to make those changes and what benefits they received from those changes and uh, they will be a powerful change agent in helping a lot of others. All right. I, I just want to give an experience. We did a seminar last year at a church and there was a man there that weighed probably close to 400 pounds. And I remember thinking, looking at him, boy, does he need the health message. And afterwards he came up and I was talking to him he had lost 150 pounds. <laughs> he was heading for an amputation of his left leg. And he talked with Dr. Agatha Thrash. She put him on a program to help him with his diabetes. He did exactly what was said, and that was where he was at on his way to healing. And his testimony was powerful. So no matter where you're at, as you start applying the principles to your life and reaping the benefit, that is the most powerful educational tool you can give anybody else. This is what God has done for me through these principles. Look what it can do for you. You know, uh, uh, Dave, I don't know if, if others were in the same category or not, but, you know, after you uh, talked about how, what Kellogg's theology was and where he went wrong, it sounded very right to me. Uh, and so uh, what was wrong about Kellogg's theology? Kellogg's theology was adversely impacted by the single greatest mistake he ever made, which was marrying his wife. Um, Dr. Kellogg's wife, Ella Eaton, was a lifelong Seventh-day Baptist who had graduated from Alfred University, the Seventh-day Baptist College up in New York, and it was her major professor and family lifetime friend, Abram Lewis, that introduced Kellogg to pantheism. That's where the theology went seriously wrong. But the real problem for Kellogg is more mundane and much more common. Pride. Um, and irritation. He was advocating things which some of my doctor friends here might be able to relate to this. Not everyone accepted gracefully. <laughs> I don't know if that's ever happened to you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he was telling people things like, you know, eat a good diet. And there were, well, I'm not, you know, it sounds, un, it sounds uncharitable for me to say this, but I'm simply quoting things that Ellen White said in public at general conference sessions here, okay? The ministers took offense because Dr. Kellogg told them to eat healthy food and they got mad at him and made war upon him and for years they criticized and attacked him and eventually, she says, he put on the coat of irritation and retaliation. And that was, that was the problem. We lost the man that the Spirit of Prophecy described as God's physician <laughs> largely because of our unwillingness to listen. listen to what God was... yeah, That was exactly in that same sermon. She said, one after another has... Um, ha one after another who knows better have rejected the health reform message. And when they rejected health reform, they rejected God. One after another who knows better said, this all came from Dr. Kellogg. Mm -hmm. And they made war upon him. Mm -hmm. And it did not come from Dr. Kellogg. They knew the difference. It was their conscience. But... Dr. Kellogg failed to bear the test, a test that I will never have to bear, I suspect, and I don't think very many have had to bear the test that he bore. Jones and Wagner would be the other uh, classic example of those who were doing the right thing but were attacked by their brethren. 
that says something about the concept of church unity. You know, um, somehow we have got to learn to love each other because we're brothers and sisters, even when you're being a jerk. <laughs> 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 it's, it's, it's a little tricky sometimes. But that was really the key to it, is was uh, a decade worth of attack on Kellogg, which led him to turn his back on his ties to the church and say, I will do on my own down in, in Chicago here more than the rest of these idiot ministers can ever accomplish in, in terms of converting people. But that's when he went off the deep end and he took his medical missionary work out of context, out of proportion, was spending every dollar he could get his hands on. He was a very effective fundraiser, something I am not. But anyhow, <laughs> um, he, was, he was spending a huge amount of money that was needed elsewhere and it was hurting the church and he was investing it in a, uh, a valid but disproportionately cons consuming enterprise. Well, our time is up, and so we're going to ask just one more question. Uh, I'm expecting a one-word answer to this question. <laughs> Literally, a one-word answer. Can you give me, and I'm going to ask each of you to do it, and we'll start with Mr. Fiedler. What is the watchword of health reform, of healthful living, of wellness reformation. One word. Yeah, I'm thinking two, but I'll abbreviate to better, I suppose. <laughs> Temperance. Okay. Wholeness. All right, I'll say simplicity. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, with that, that concludes our question and answer time. Um, I'm going to ask that everyone just remain where they are and we'll just bow our heads and close this session out with another word of prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, we want for us to be blessed with the Holy Spirit so that he can give us discernment and wisdom from on high so that we can take the information that we heard today and let that information not remain information, but something that inspires us to be like Christ, the epitome of medical missionary work. Help us to model ourselves after our Savior and our Creator in reaching out to others in selfless medical missionary work. Bless us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.